You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. So let's, let's start. Uh, Acts chapter 22. Remember last time we left it as, and Paul said, and then that was the end of our class. So this is, we pick it back up to where Paul is now uh, before uh, the Sanhedrin. I believe it's a Sanhedrin. Um, in his defense. Uh, we're not going to read the whole thing uh, like we normally do. It's important to note in Paul's defense when he defends himself, as he often says, you know, I was a Jew to the Jew, I was a Gentile to the Gentile. Uh, so when he spoke with the Jews, he spoke in Hebrew. Uh, and it said that they got very quiet, you know, when they listened, when they listened to him. <clears throat> but then later, when they arrested him and they started beating him, uh, he said, you, you would... You would beat a Roman citizen? And that's when the, the Romans, the centurion said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe, maybe we should rethink this. Because we can't hold a Roman citizen without, without a charge. You know, so when he is uh, speaking with uh, the Hebrews, he speaks Hebrew. When he's with the Roman authority, he speaks Greek. Because that was the, the common language in this area uh, for them. Uh, and he's a, he adapts very, very well in whatever situation in which he finds uh, himself. Uh, so here, uh, you know, verse two, it says, um, when they heard, uh, when they heard him addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet and he retells his story. He offers his testimony. What he's doing in this testimony is over and over again, Paul is not saying that Jesus is something new that God is doing. Rather, we are made new in Christ. He always tries to ground Christ and ground his mission in the history and the tradition of the church. Because uh, he talks about, look, I was, I was educated as a Pharisee. Uh, I kept the law. And it's not that I woke up and uh, decided to be a Christian one day. I, in fact, I was persecuting Christians. I had a vision. I had an experience. And he uses this defense over and over again. Because... If I have been converted because I had a vision of the, of the risen Lord and you persecute me or beat me or flog me because of that vision, who are you really persecuting? In other words, he's saying, this is not my, this is not my idea. This is not my decision. It is something that Christ has put on me. So therefore, when you're flogging me, you're flogging Christ. And you may be, um, oh, what's the term? Kicking a gourd. What does he say? Um, oh, oh, this is so fantastic. Um, I highlighted it. Hold on one second. Um, it's when he retells his story. He talks about like kicking a gourd. Not, not a gourd. One moment. This is great. And it's the only time it's mentioned. Yes! Um, he re- you don't have to look at it right now, but uh, when he retells the story again uh, later in uh, chapter 26, uh, he said, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. Is what he says. It hurts you to kick against the goads. Does anyone know what that, what that means? Excellent. So a, a goad is a stick. Uh, that's sharpened on one end and usually burned, and it's what they use to prod livestock. 
to get moving. Uh, and basically what this is saying is, it's a biblical way of saying you're shooting yourself in the foot, kicking against a goad. Uh, does, does anyone have a different translation in their Bible? Oh, you're not looking at it. Um, chapter 26, uh, verse 14. Because the other translation, I think, is actually kind of funny, um, which would be a great, like, Twitter hashtag. Does anyone have anything different than it hurts you to kick against the goads? 26, 14. Anyone have anything different? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, then that's no fun. Sometimes goads is, is uh, translated as, as pricks, a stick that's pointy. And, and I just think that's some, some translation says it hurts you to... Anyway, um, it's, just, it's just funny. Um, a pointed stick, a pointed stick. Anywho, all right, so uh, we're going to back up to, let's see, ah, chapter 23. Kind of pick it up there. Chapter 23, verse 3, is this language of Paul when he talks about, this is a movement of the Spirit, and I had an experience of the risen Christ. He says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting there to judge me according to the law? And yet, in violation of the law, do you order me to be struck? Over and over again, he's throwing this whole experience back at them in their own hypocrisy. In other words, it's one thing to tell someone that they're a hypocrite. It's another thing to put yourself in a position that their actions toward you reveal their own hypocrisy. Does that make sense? It's one thing to call someone a hypocrite. It's another thing to put yourself in a position where their actions toward you reveal their own hypocrisy. He's saying, look, you're flogging me and you're beating me and you have no charge against me, though you're the one preaching to me about the law. You're violating it right now in the way that you're treating me. This is what Paul does. Um, He's selfless in the sense of Paul's only concern is the mission of the church, spreading the gospel. So throughout this episode at the end of Acts, he's actually putting himself in a position where their own hypocrisy is being revealed by the way that they are treating him. Does that make sense? You're preaching to me against the law, but in the way that you're treating me, you're actually violating the law. Therefore, you have nothing of value to say. Right? Um, And then I love this later because there were Sadducees and Pharisees on this council. Paul is so savvy because Paul starts to talk about the resurrection with this uh, tribunal, this, this body. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did. So when Paul is being questioned, he brings up the theology of the resurrection and the Sadducees and the Pharisees turn on each other and start arguing with each other, therefore forgetting about Paul. He uses that one item, again, to reveal to them, you're the ones who are holy, you're the ones who are keeping the law, you're the ones who are pure, and you have this charge against me, and now you're actually turning on each other. Therefore, how, how holy are you, actually? How well are you keeping the law, actually? That's an important lesson in the way that we witness to the world. Or what, so, the problem with church is that it's filled with so many Christians. What I mean by that is, 
Church would be perfect if it weren't for all the people in it, right? Sometimes we get into arguments and we get into fights and we forget, we try to preserve our theology and completely forget about the witness that we have with the world. How can you invite someone into Christianity when Christians seem to be fighting all the time about their own faith? It's it's not the best hospitable church growth model with the world. Um, And this is, Paul is revealing this. He starts to talk about the resurrection, knowing that the Sadducees and the Pharisees disagree on this. Jesus brings this up. Um, The Sadducees ask Jesus, um, and Jesus was a master at answering questions. They asked him, okay, so a woman was married to a man, and then he died. So she was married to his brother, and he died. Uh, Then she married his other brother, and he died. Uh, And he goes on and on. And they, yeah, first of all, I'm like, where is CSI? Like, when, 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 does, when does law and order show up to, like, investigate that? But um, they ask him, to whom does she belong in the afterlife? And Jesus' response is, you're Sadducees. You don't even believe in the afterlife. It's a, in other words, it's a biblical way of saying, that's a dumb question. And there is such a thing as a stupid question. A stupid question is a question that's asked where an answer is not really desired. Someone who doesn't believe in the resurrection asking Jesus about to whom does she belong in the resurrection. It's like, you don't even believe in the resurrection. That's called entrapment. Uh, the answer is she belongs to God. She belongs to God. Why do you think a woman is a man's property in the afterlife? Or ever. It's a whole nother sermon. But uh, that's what they asked Jesus. He goes, you don't even believe in the resurrection. Like, what's, it's the same kind of, and this happens kind of in the same episode of, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not, right? Give to God. And this is, I love that because that, this is, this is um, how to answer questions 101, right? So they ask Jesus. We, first of all, they, they try to um, butter his bread a little bit. We know that you're a great teacher. We know that you are a wonderful rabbi. Answer us this question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? What was Jesus' response to that? Show me a coin. Show me a coin. So first, hard to pay taxes when you have no money. Let's start there. Second, they show him a coin. And I love this. Jesus goes, oh, whose head is on this? Whose image is this? Because what Jesus was revealing, Jesus was revealing their hypocrisy. It was Roman currency that they had. And they were in the temple. They weren't supposed to have that money on them anyway. So he goes, oh, whose head is on this? Caesar? Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees were having all of the poor exchange their currency for denarius. Because that the, the Roman currency was, was, would make you unclean. In other words, it's a stupid question that they're asking. Do we pay taxes or not? He goes, okay, well, show me a coin. Oh, well, isn't that interesting? You have the money that you're making all of the poor exchange, and you have it in your pocket. Give to God what is God's, and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, that lesson is not about paying taxes. It's certainly not about 21st century American economy. It's not, that's not what it is. He's revealing their hypocrisy. Oh, show me a coin. Oh, you have Roman currency. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Here, stupid question, right? So this is kind of what Paul is doing. 
when Paul is before the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's know that, he knows that there is dissension among them, when they're questioning him, he asks them a question. Um, he says, brothers, I am a Pharisee. I'm a son of Pharisees. I am on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Oh, well, that piqued their interest. Verse 7, chapter 23, verse 7. When he had said this, a dissension began between the Pharisees and the, Sabbath, and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. And then it tells you a little... Um, which is why we think that Luke was not Jewish, is because he gives you a little aside here. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angel or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge all three. If you were a Jew writing to a Jewish audience, you wouldn't have had to say that. That's one of those clues that we know that, that, that we think that Luke was, was a Gentile. It's because he has these little asides. You wouldn't have to say it, right? It's kind of like our metaphor, like in you're in downtown New Orleans, uh, and you point to the Superdome, you don't have to say, that's where the saints play, because everyone knows that, right? Uh, but here he's saying there was dissension because Pharisees and Sadducees disagree, right? Do you see that clue in that marker? Excellent, good. Um, all right, skipping ahead, I'll paraphrase, because this, I will say this, uh, in, in, in good Christian faith, the ending of the book of Acts is a bit tedious to read, those of you who read. So if you read the ending of, of, of the book of Acts, uh, it's a little tedious um, because they're on a ship and they're going here and they're going there and it's very detailed and Paul tells his story three times over and over again, almost verbatim. It's, it's tedious. So I'm going to paraphrase. Uh, he is before two different leaders, Felix and Festus. Felix was corrupt. So when Paul went before him, Felix asked for money. He's like, hey, man, uh, I have the power. I have the keys. You give me a little something off the top, I'll let you go free. And Paul said, no, he'd rather be in prison than to do something that he shouldn't. So Paul stays in jail for two years because he refused to pay a ransom. So Felix is no longer in power. And then Festus, I believe it is Festus, um, takes Felix's place and Festus was uh, a better uh, leader, and he wanted to clean up Felix's mess. So one of the first things he did was he, he surveyed the prisoners, saying, okay, why are you in jail? What's going on here? Can we figure this out? Uh, and Paul says, um, yeah, I was in jail. Felix was uh, not a great guy, and he threw me in jail, asked me for a little money. I decided not to do it, so he kept me here. And Felix says, oh, well, well then we'll, we'll let you go back to Jerusalem. And Paul says, no, 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 don't want to go back. Uh, because they want to kill me over there. Don't want to go back to Jerusalem. Um, I, and so he uses his uh, ace of spades and says, I'm a Roman citizen. Uh, I demand to uh, go to the king, King Herod. I want to go to the king. Because you could, you could do that as, as a Roman citizen, demand an audience with the king. So that's what happens. Uh, Paul gets this, um, uh, da, 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 goes to the emperor, King Agrippa, uh, King Agrippa, not King Herod Agrippa, uh, and he goes to the king. Super interesting. When he goes to the king, again, Paul keeps telling the same story uh, over and over again, but then they get into this kind of conversion language with the king because Paul says things, hey, um, I know you know uh, the Jewish tradition and the Jewish faith. Neither Felix nor Festus really did, but I know you, you're a good Jew, um, so this is what happened. I had, I was following the, pro I was very zealous for the law. 
was uh, listening to the prophets, uh, and uh, Jesus came to me in a vision, um, and Scripture was affirmed. Keep in mind, when they talk about Scripture, they're not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. They're talking about the Hebrew Bible. So Paul refers to the Hebrew Bible saying, Christ has affirmed that. And Paul says to the king, you being a good Jew, you know the prophets, and you can see how Christ is the Messiah. Uh, and let me find, um, find where he says that. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, this is a chapter... Chapter 26, verse 26. I'll back up to verse 24. So Paul is talking to King Agrippa. While he was making this defense, Festus exclaimed, You are out of your mind, Paul. Too much learning is driving you insane. I love, I love that. You've been to school. You know, sometimes you can think your way out. Uh, or think your way into a problem, I guess, or overthink something. This is a biblical way of saying that Paul is overthinking this. You had too much learning, <laughs> and now, and now you're, you're, you, you've gone mad. Um, but Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking the sober truth. Indeed, and this is, this is when he, he um, um, speaks well of the king, to kind of bring the king into the conversation, right? Indeed, the king knows about these things, and to him I speak freely, for I am certain that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe, Paul says. <laughs> so we're going to stop right there. So Paul, again, when he's facing a charge... He's, he's an excellent orator, and he knows people really well. So when Festus is saying, you're out of your mind, like the, the whole resurrection, what, what are you talking about? Uh, he goes, no, I'm, I'm just talking about the prophets and what the prophets have promised. The prophets have promised everlasting life. Uh, and, you know, the king who is here, the king knows the prophets really well, and it's really plain this didn't happen in secret. It didn't happen in a corner is what he said. This did not happen in secret. King Agrippa, you know the prophets. I know that you believe them. And then Agrippa says to Paul, are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? It's kind of like, um, uh, I think it's John chapter 9, um, the healing of a blind man. A blind man. Um, the fascinating thing that happens in, in, I think it's John chapter 9. Uh, I'm a Methodist, I have to look it up. Um, John chapter 9, I believe, uh, Jesus heals a blind man and who knows nothing. They ask him, like, who did this to you? He's like, I don't know. I was blind. <laughs> I don't know who healed me. It's, it's, a funny, it's just a funny because they ask him, who did this to you? He's like, I have no idea. <laughs> um, he left. Um, but as the story goes, the man grows in vision and grows in faith. So it begins with the Pharisees thinking they know everything and this blind man knows nothing. And then as the story goes, they switch positions. Where at the end of it, the Pharisees, because the Pharisees ask him more than once, the Pharisees go track down his parents and say, uh, is this your son and was he blind? And the parents are like, because um, they know that if anyone claimed that Jesus was the Messiah, that they were being rounded up. So the parents are like, um, he's, he's of age, man. You, you, you ask him. Like, yeah, that's our son, but we don't know what happened, right? 
It's kind of like when my mother told me, <laughs> growing up, she goes, you better hope the cops get you first. That was her message to me. You better hope the police get you first. Uh, and she goes, if you think I'm going to bail you out, you are mistaken. Um, she goes, you don't want me to. You just stay. So they say, is this your son? Like, yeah, but uh, don't. You ask him. He's of age. So they ask him all these questions. At the end of the story, the blind man who knew nothing and the Pharisees who think they know everything, at the end of the story, their roles reverse, and the blind man starts preaching to them about Jesus being the Messiah. And he asks them, well, you're really, you're really concerned about this Jesus person. Do you want to be his follower as well? And that's when they just get hot under the collar and, you know, like, wow, you're really, you're really obsessed with this. <laughs> you, is there something there? You want to talk about that? You know, like, wow, you're really obsessed with preaching out against Grand Theft Auto. Like, every time you talk about it, just that's all you're doing. Do you, do you play Grand Theft Auto? Or is there something you want to talk, you know? Because what I mean is, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny verse where he's like, hey, do you want to be his follower too? You're asking me a lot of questions about him. You know, because sometimes the, the sins that, that make us angry the most are the ones that we see in our own person that we don't want to admit. Um, not always, but often the sins that we, that we see in our own person that we aren't willing to be honest about, we get very hot about in other people. Uh, and I love that. And again, I think it's John chapter 9, where the blind person finally asks the Pharisees, oh, you're really obsessed with this Jesus. You want to be his follower too? And that's where the story ends, uh, is, is that conversion. So here, Paul is saying, hey, uh, King, uh, King Agrippa, uh, you know the prophets, you believe them. And the king says, are you, um, you trying to con- convert me? Is that, is that what's happening right here? Um, are you so quickly persuading me to be a Christian? And Paul recited, well, you know, whether, I love it, whether quickly or not, <laughs> I love that, he goes, well, it doesn't have to happen today. Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. I love how he never says, yes, I'm trying to convert you to Christianity because that would be really great because I'm in jail for proclaiming Christ to be king. So if the king then becomes Christian, like that would be really helpful in my favor. When the king says, are you trying to make me a Christian? Paul says, I mean, not, not today. You know, you don't have to tithe today. Just come to Asbury. It's a just, you know, just come enjoy. Not today, but my hope is that all will see the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about you specifically, king. I hope that everyone does. Uh, become like me except for these chains. That's also his nod of saying, let me go. That would be really great. I hope everyone would be like me except for these chains, right? So then the king got up, uh, and with him, the governor uh, and Bernice, uh, and those who had been uh, seated with them, and as they were leaving, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to the emperor. In other words, the king is saying, isn't that a curious thing? He had the chance to, to go free, and he chose not to. Shouldn't that be in his favor? That we could have let him go, and Paul said no, because he wanted to, to see the king. And the king said, look, I, 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 find, I find nothing against him. Chapter 27, 
uh, is when the we, the first person plural, uh, picks up again. So uh, underline that and take notice of that. The language changes. Chapter 27, verse 1, it says, When it was decided that we were to set sail for Italy. So now we're talking about someone who was probably with Paul, or it was another um, uh, uh, source, like a, a journal or some, something that what, someone who traveled with Paul kept. The we passage picks up again here. Just take note of that. Uh, and then there is a, a shipwreck, uh, which goes into great detail of what happened. Um, and visions that Paul had, and Paul warned them, like, hey, we're, you know, we should stay here, we should chill out, and like, no, we got this, we're sailors. So then they go out, and then there, there's, a, uh, there's a wreck, uh, and there's a chance for them to, um, they were basically going to kill the, the prisoners so they didn't go free, but they saved Paul, uh, the, the folks who are in power. And they make it to Malta, and then eventually Paul goes to Rome and meets with Jewish leaders in Rome, and he preaches there. Interestingly, near the end of Acts, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a beautiful honesty there. If you were writing a bit of marketing, you tend to posit yourself as positively as you can, right? And I mean, imagine like a, a marketing ca- campaign of Asbury, you know, uh, come to Asbury. We have no problems. Everything is great. Uh, we're changing, you know, um, drink Coke. It's amazing. Or I love how, like, the, the Diet Coke commercials. Like, I drink Diet Coke because it can. Because I, I drink it for the taste. Like, so in a marketing campaign, you don't say, hey, come to Asbury. You know, some of the Sunday school classes are good. Some, some aren't great, so choose wisely, you know. Um, come to Asbury. Um, the band is hit or miss. So, you know, people. At the end of the book of Acts, it's very honest where it says, not everybody joined and joined. Not everybody was converted. Some heard, some didn't. And there's a beautiful honesty there. Uh, because we see this in Jesus' story too. And, 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 and don't miss this, that in, in the crafting of Paul's story in the book of Acts, um, Paul sounds very much like Jesus um, in being arrested, uh, answering charges, being very savvy uh, with, with his answers. Um, but there's a beautiful honesty uh, at, the, at the end of Acts where it says, look, not everybody, it wasn't as successful as Paul had hoped it would be. Uh, and there's a beauty there. There's an honesty there. And there's a kind of humility that I think, that I think we all should, should follow <laughs> is, hey, um, it was a great plan on paper and it wasn't as successful as we hoped it would be. There's a beauty there uh, in, in, in that honesty. Um, and that's how uh, the book of Acts ends. Uh, verse 30 uh, says, He lived there, meaning Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's, that's where the story ends. You would think that it would end with Paul's death, but it doesn't. It ends with him continuing the mission. Um, and, and that's a hopeful word. I mean, all of our story ends with an earthly death, on earth at least. But the detail that Luke wanted to leave with us is that Paul wasn't as success- He didn't make it to the ends of the earth as he was hoping because Paul wanted to go to Rome in order to go to Spain, which was the ends of the earth as far as they were concerned, the other end of the Mediterranean. Paul didn't make it there. But while he was in Rome, he kept proclaiming 
the word of the Lord. And that's the message to us. Um, I don't know what your personal plan is or what your personal goals are in your life. Uh, You may have achieved some. You might have failed miserably (laughs) with some of those goals. And the point is to always proclaim, always to be full of the spirit of Christ, even when those goals don't work out in the way that, that you had hoped them to have worked. And that's a hopeful word at the end of the book of Acts. Paul didn't make it to Spain, but he kept proclaiming. He welcomed everyone um, as, as without hindrance, without hindrance, uh, with all boldness and without hindrance. Uh, and that is the book of Acts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? We do have one more meeting next week. Uh, and next week, I'll just give you, a, let you, I'll prime the pump a little bit. We'll be, I'll be asking you some questions next week. It's not a test about the book of Acts. You know, in chapter 17, multiple choice, who said what? It's not that. Uh, so you don't have to cram or study. But you do, have, you do have to live into it because I'm going to ask you, since reading this story of the Holy Spirit beginning, beginning to transform the world, how is the Holy Spirit transforming your life? Sometimes it's obvious where you can answer that right now. And like today I had an experience of the... I want you to be intentional this week to think about the ways in which the Holy Spirit is guiding you, um, leading you, or maybe pushing you and prodding you. I like in the, in the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit invited Jesus into the wilderness or asked Jesus if he would go. It says the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Sometimes the Spirit does that, and it pushes us. It makes us question. It makes us wonder what God has in store. And I want you to think about this. That's your assignment. There's no more reading. That's the assignment before next week, is listening to the Holy Spirit of where the Holy Spirit is pushing you, maybe prodding you, um, maybe with with a pointy stick of going here, going there. This is what I want you to do. I want you to listen to that and pay attention to that. Uh, That's one of the beautiful things about Cuba uh, and the church in Cuba. Uh, They listen to the Spirit. They don't do anything until they feel like the Spirit is moving. Like I said, one of the phrases they use is, Gloria a Dios. And they expect every time that they gather that they will see a miracle. Of course, there's a temptation there. For example, um, growing up, we would go to camp meeting uh, I think it's the second Sunday in October with my grandmother at the Salem, in Salem, Mississippi. It was the Salem Tabernacle. And it was a whole week. They would stay out there all week. And then Sunday was the big, under the tabernacle, it was 150 degrees. And a guy in a seersucker suit, Lord Jesus. I mean, he was just doing the whole thing, man. Just, you know. Um, and my Uncle Ronnie, I would always sit by my Uncle Ronnie. I loved my Uncle Ronnie. Um, if the service had gone on to, because the, the pastor would wait until there was an altar call. Like he would make the invitation and he'd just wait and he'd keep preaching until someone gave their life to Jesus. So my uncle Ronnie would give me a $5 bill. He says, we're hungry. Would you go get saved so we can get out of here? So he'd give me a $5 bill and I'd go get saved. I've been saved more than most. <laughs> Camp meeting, you know. So there's a temptation. When you're looking for signs at every gathering, there is, there is a temptation that... There are Uncle Ronnie's in there that'll give kids five bucks to go get saved so that they would see the sign of the Lord. But the beautiful thing about Cuba is that they're so hopeful. They're extraordinarily hopeful. Um, 
for them, the Holy Spirit is a tangible, lived reality. Um, saying, well, we would do this, but the Holy Spirit has, hasn't, hasn't affirmed it yet. Uh, and this is what we're doing, and we know that all signs point against it, but that's what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. And they do it, and they wait. Um, like, for example, um, it sometimes takes years to build a building. Not necessarily because of lack of um, money or resources or building material, is that they wait for the Spirit to move them there. What a great lesson for us. Yeah, the Holy Spirit hasn't told us yet, so we're going to wait until the Spirit affirms this, and then we'll move. Then we'll do it. Uh, and they plant churches all the time. We, we were in Faya, and it had uh, like 50 people. And that group of 50 planted another church in a city called uh, Las Palmas, or the Palms, palm, palm trees, Las Palmas. And there were, I think, 23 women who were there. Um, and it always starts with women, because uh, the men are very late to the party, so to speak. Uh, most of these churches start with a group of women, and then their husbands say, okay, and then they follow and they go. Uh, but so this, this group of 50 people planted a church in this very poor, because at first we thought Faya was, was it's open air. They have, they have uh, t- like two and a half walls. Um, but then we went to Las Palmas, and it's a hut. Um, I mean, palm tree, uh, palm branches as the roof, uh, wooden posts, uh, and there are 23 women who were dancing and shouting and singing. Group of 50 planted a church of, for 20 you know, there's this kind of, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to see their faith and the way that they listen to the Holy Spirit. So that's your assignment for this week, is to listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe you haven't in a while. I'm very interested, and, and I'm not going to call on everybody to share, you know, what did the Spirit tell you? What did the Spirit tell you, right? But the questions that I'll be asking, you'll have to listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit in order for those questions to be fruitful. Fair enough? Are we okay? Everybody's checking their calendar like, well, maybe there's a PTA meeting next week. <laughs> maybe I can go volunteer at the pumpkin patch. <laughs> right? No, it's, all, it's okay. Please come. Please come. Um, any final thoughts or questions? Yes? No. Well, um, yes and no. Uh, the question was, has there been any oppression of the church in Cuba? Cuba has become more relaxed to the church, though in order to expedite church growth. Like, for example, uh, the church in Ciego, the way they filled out their paperwork, they didn't say they were not building a church. They were building a garage. The garage happens to have a steeple, but it's a garage. It's not a church. So they do those kind of things, very savvy with the government, uh, but the government has not, we never felt that we had to be like underground or anything like that. Um, there was one day where we got stopped at a checkpoint um, going to a place called uh, Calle Coco. Calle is uh, the word for key, like Florida Keys, a barrier island. Uh, and it's called Coco, Calle Coco, um, where we hung out with the family to get to know them, the, the pastor and his family at, at, at Faya. Uh, and we were stopped at the checkpoint. So our, our guide got out. His name was Hector. Um, and you're supposed to pay a great fee to get through these checkpoints. But the guy who was working the checkpoint that day uh, was also Christian. 
So he let us through without paying any money. He goes, it is a gift from God and let us through. So there's some, there's some of that going on where it's not like the, the, where they wear crosses openly necessarily. It is still a bit like they draw a fish in the ground kind of a thing, but it's not active persecution. It's just non-Christians who are working for the government might make your day a little bit harder. But not, I wouldn't say that it's actively being persecuted. It's just, it's less of a headache um, than, than if not. Great question. Any other questions about Acts or Cuba or Commitment Sunday that's coming up? You'll be getting a letter in the mail soon about Commitment Sunday that's happening this Sunday. Right? Just, let, just throwing that out there. Just throwing that, we're about 2% behind in the budget. Just throwing that out there. Just letting you know. Just letting you know that for the year. Just throwing that out there. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Gracious and most holy God, we invite your spirit to remain with us as we leave this place. May your spirit guide us. May your spirit be our language. May your spirit move us into places we thought might have been impossible. May your spirit open doors that we thought were impossibility. May your spirit move us even into places we might resist or think foolish. Help us to be not ashamed of the way in which you are calling us to serve the world. Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.